Easty Now, episode 507, Michael W. Lucas interview, recorded on the 26th of April 2023. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow, find online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you want to support this show in one way or the other, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bsdnow. And we thank you in advance for that. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling, and I'll be happy to tell you, as you probably have guessed by now, we have another interview with Michael W. Lucas, and Tom is joining me for another part of the question bits. So I will not keep you very long from the interview. We talk about his books, his projects, his writings, and any other things is uh, on his mind, including his own views about uh, AI and ChatGPT things. So definitely check out this following interview with Michael W. Lucas. In this special episode of BSD Now, we are doing yet another I've Lost Count interview with Michael W. Lucas, who approached actually us this time to ask, hey, why shouldn't we do another interview? Because I'd written a couple of things in recent years, and that's what we're, well, not years, but months. It's been months since our last interview. Um, and so we should talk again, and we're happy to do that here. And so I'll start with welcoming Michael back to our regular BSD Now episode. Glad to have you back. And uh, yeah, great to have you back. And uh, it seems like you're a bit busy and wrote another book, if only just one, multiple ones, but we'll get to those. Uh, OpenBSD Mastery File Systems. So since we're a BSD podcast, tell us about this. Well, has it only has it only been months? I would have sworn it was years. It, yeah, probably. It's a regular thing now, more or less. Okay. Yeah, I I have a new book. Uh, it's about file systems on OpenBSD. You might get that from the title. Uh, the important thing about the book, of course, is that the cover art is gorgeous. Uh, My, yeah. it, it wraps all the way around, and it, it's just lovely. Yeah, like all the other ones. I just like how they are made and the the, the inside jokes there. It's It's very delicate. That's uh, that's really the main reason to buy any of the books, of course. Just for the cover? Just for the cover. And, <laughs> of course, we start and a lawn crew starts up outside, so... You gotta cut the grass, man. Yeah. <laughs> Keep off my lawn. Yep, yep. So, uh... Storage is one of those topics in, sy in systems administration that's really the, the core of our profession. We spend more time talking about software configuration and why is my web server dumping core when I enable this PHP module or whatever. Uh, but if you screw up the storage, nothing else really matters. Uh, so. OpenBSD runs on just plain old UFS. And there's a, uh, they basically have a different philosophy about storage uh, than 
something like FreeBSD with ZFS. There's all, all sorts of features and such that you can do with ZFS, but the OpenBSD folks want the file system to just get the bits on the disk. They have other tools for compressing and checking integrity and all of that. So there are people who would like to see a more advanced file system on OpenBSD, but generally UFS is what you have. So, so I take people through how UFS works. Uh, and then uh, stuff like disk labels, because OpenBSD has its specific way of partitioning disks because it's cross-platform. Uh, so they want to use the same partitioning method on AMD 64 that they would use on a VAX. Makes sense. Or whatever. Uh, but then there, there's other things that are related to storage that need to be gotten right initially. Things like swap space, how much do you need? Swap isn't really storage, except it is. Except when you need it, yeah. Except when you need it. And do you need it? And how much do you need? And you can do things like enable swap and disable swap. All of that. And that plays into the buffer cache and how the buffer cache works. Um, then I talk a bit about support for foreign file systems because eventually you have to mount a flash drive in your desktop. Uh, where, and, and sadly, flash drives don't come formatted with UFS. No, not too much. Not, yeah. not too much. And you may have to plug in an NTFS drive to, to pull files off or an EXT drive. And OpenBSD has Fuse, so you can use you know, Mount SSH. Uh, I talk a bit about uh, NFS, of course, and then iSCSI. Uh, iSCSI is... Oh, OpenBSD aside, iSCSI is kind of terrible. I mean, you can do... With a, a modern ATA drive, it's, what, 6 gigabytes a second? I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. That's 48 gigabit. And not many people have a 50 gigabit card to dedicate to iSCSI. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a bottleneck. But you know, that sometimes terrible is what you got. <laughs> and then yeah. I talk about their, their software raid, which uh, if you don't read the book, if you take nothing else from this talk, Always use software RAID rather than hardware RAID. I don't care what operating system you're running. I don't care. You know, you can be on Windows, and I, I would still tell you to use software RAID. Uh, mm, hardware RAID is reasonable. just a pr proprietary software RAID in a black box. <laughs> so it, it sounds like a very interesting book, Michael. Um, 
Could you maybe explain a little bit how um, OpenBSD's UFS has evolved since the divergence point of all the BSDs and maybe how it compares to other BSDs? Well, OpenBSD's UFS, uh, they, they have, as you might guess, UFS1, which is the, the modern, highly polished BSD 4.4 file system. And it has been consistently debugged ever since, uh, what, 1994 with BSD 4.4? 93, maybe? Yeah, yeah last 93. Century, I, I'm not going to say it's bug-free. <laughs> but it's been around. It's been around. The, the bugs that people are likely to find have been found. And then there's UFS2. OpenBSD grabbed an, a fairly early version of UFS2 and, and integrated that. And even that has been, what, 20 years now? Back during the noughties is when UFS2 was released. So it's also been solidly debugged. Uh, the, the main lack that UFS2 has is snapshots. As FreeBSD, UFS2 developed snapshots after OpenBSD did their port. Mm, that came after, yeah. So people gripe about you know, OpenBSD's PF has evolved since FreeBSD grabbed their port. Well, UFS is the same in the other direction. Mm, okay, yeah, that's a good comparison. Uh, and that that's just part of grabbing code back and forth. So OpenBSD has a, a history with um, con um, symmetric light processing and scaling out the system. Do, are, are there ha headaches for um, systems with many writers in OpenBSD in their UFS? Well, they have been actively pushing on putting more fine-grained blocking in. So will there be headaches under your particular load? Perhaps. Uh, but again, they're really working on looking at common use cases. Okay, that's cool. Um, so with, you know, I guess 30 years of uh, concentrated development, they must have come up with some pretty cool things. Are there any things unique to the OpenBSD file systems that you, you want to shout from the rooftops? Really, no. Okay. <laughs> it's it's. Um, I, I don't want to say their their file system development is dead because it's not. It's maintained. It's kept up to date, but it's just a. a different philosophy than CFS and ButterFS and the, the modern new fancy file systems. I'm, I'm going to be egotistical here. And uh, I haven't done this before in an interview, but I'm going to quote one of the silly bits from my own book. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I wrote this book with a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy motif. Uh, and I so pillaged uh, Adam's work for select quotes I could twist and repurpose to start each chapter. So, uh, 
OpenBSD UFS is kind of like this. Many users assume that their advanced file system is better than UFS because they have so many features. Snapshots, checksums, compression, sophisticated algorithms, and so on. While all UFS has ever done is muck about putting data on disk. But conversely, UFS users believe their file system is better for exactly the same reasons. <laughs> OpenBSD wants the file system to be pretty simple. And features are bugs. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if I briefly look at the Linux world, most of their standard file systems are still ext3 and 4 in the new install. I mean, the yeah. newer file systems are there as well, with ButterFS and others. But I guess pretty much all around, they have ext4 as the de facto standard. It's 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 funny, right? Because the company that's been bravest about file systems in the last decade has been Apple, doing a, a billion device upgrade from HFS plus to APFS. Yes. I don't think any of the rest of us would dare to do that in production. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I mean, the. We, we do have ZFS on Linux and people are using it, but I, I really think your root file system is your first class file system. If you're booting, if you're, the file system you're storing the kernel on is the one you really believe in. So in Linux, that's, you know, ext3, ext4. And, you know, OpenBSD UFS, you are really not going to corrupt that file system easily. It's pretty solid, yeah. Uh, but didn't OpenBSD put any of its uh, known security things into the file system as well? Oh, yeah, they, they do that, and they've, they've enabled some interesting things as mount options even. Mm -hmm. Some of their memory protections are integrated with the file system. Ah, yeah. So you cannot exploit through the file system the rest of the operating system. Well, things like um, a program is going to have a couple different kinds of allocated memory. There's the, the part of the memory that has the program itself loaded in. You know, your web server needs a copy of the web server in memory. And then there's the data that the program is using, like which pages is it serving and which ports are open and all of that stuff. Oh, well, OpenBSD has a memory protection where they separate the memory that contains the program from the memory that is... Uh, the working data. So, and and the memory can either be executable or writable. And an intruder would love to come in to a running program and overwrite the executing memory and and put a whole new binary in there that that gets run and I mean, that's great fun for those people. 
must be yeah they bring their own little gifts and yes, leave but, uh, nothing nice behind so that that's disallowed across an open bsd install except as a mount option on user local because add-on programs may need that oh yeah for sure i say they may be badly written and need to overwrite their working memory, their executable memory. But most of them, well, no, that, that's a blanket statement. I would be shocked if some big name programs did not rely on that behavior, though. And so how long did you take, uh, take to write this book, like from research to getting oh. the final bits? A year since our last interview? A, or a year, something? I think. I mean, I've, I've written about file systems many times. This is like my 12th book on them. But the last time I, I wrote about OpenBSD file systems was 2013, which means oh, I yeah, had to double-check everything. Ah, uh, yeah. But yeah, that's the part of the meticulous uh, things you have to do as an author to be accurate. That's the job. So, yeah, I, I spent a year on it. It doesn't look like much for a year's work. But I, I, oh, no, that's just depressing. I'm, I'm not going to measure it that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, very nice. Oh, so it's available already? or what's Oh, it's available. It? It's been out for a couple months now, I think, end of February. Ah, okay. <laughs> then I must have missed that. I mean, we occasionally pick stuff from your blog, but I, uh, we haven't done so in a while. So uh, missed a couple things. So okay, um, good yeah, to know I'm, this. I'm trying to use my blog more uh, now that I've stepped away from Twitter. Yeah, to uh, announce certain things. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, let's see. Okay, so that's OpenBSD's uh, master OpenBSD Mastery file systems. And uh, we also heard that there's something brewing in the mail server space. So Run Your Own Mail Server is your next bigger nonfiction book. Uh, so what's the idea behind that? Well, I've run my own mail server since the 90s. Uh, and email has, in a lot of ways, changed since then. And it's not just things like adding TLS. The the hard part of running your mail server is no longer about the server. Yep, you, that's for sure. It, it's about the ecosystem and the civilization around it. Uh, there's SPF, there's DKIM, there's DMARC. Uh, Anti-spam things have updated. Uh, People may gripe about block lists like spam house and such, but there those are still necessary. So I'm I'm really writing about a basic postfix setup with IMAP and such, but then really trying to focus on those surrounding protocols because uh, the the large mail providers are gradually increasing their requirements for accepting mail. Yeah, I get that from my private email where a couple of people try to reach me and 
I didn't get the message at all. And then they asked me in different channels. And so it must have been something. I didn't change anything, but it's my mail provider. I don't have much uh, control over that. Right. And when, when you're sending mail, uh, for example, it appears that Apple just started requiring DKIM on all inbound mail before they'll accept it. So if you, if you want to run your own email, you need to start with all of these protocols pretty much since the beginning. It's not like a web server where you can kind of iteratively you know, have us just get an IP address and then add a domain name and then add your TLS certificate and all that. You, you pretty much need the supporting protocols from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And think, a lot things of education. Like, things like DKIM and, and SPF aren't new. I mean, DKIM's from 2011. Um, yes, they're not what, new, but the requirement for them is. But what, what's wrong in the email world that's not happening in the web where... Um, you know, if I spin up Nginx tomorrow, it's very easy to get an example configuration and run a um, like an SSL labs test against it and get, you know, my 5A rating for a server. What's different in the email world that this isn't possible? Spam. As far as I can see, basically every change to email protocols since 1994 has been about stopping spam. Email is meticulously designed to optimize deliverability. And then spam hit, and we discovered that a protocol designed for optimal deliverability is absolute crap at not delivering mail. <laughs> so and things... The, yeah. Yep, sorry, continue. <laughs> These the spammers have a distinct financial interest in getting their junk in our inboxes and capturing our eyeballs. Uh, in, in my research, I found the very first spam was in the 70s. Yeah. And what happened is over uh, 1978, there's this guy, Gary Thurick, he worked for Digital Equipment Corporation, and he had uh, this new packet switching system he wanted to demonstrate and get people to show up for. So he, he emailed several hundred people he didn't know. Um, and the reactions were overwhelmingly negative, <laughs> but he generally said, okay, this has not been done before. Uh, so... This is not appropriate for the network. Um, and five days after that first spam went out, uh, the chief of the U.S. Air Force's ARPANET management branch, a major Raymond, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this name, Zahor, called Gary Thurick's boss to tell them to never do it again on pain of disconnection. <laughs> Well, this first advertising email here we are. sold 12 
million dollars of computers. Okay, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. This established this precedent of, you know, don't spam. But it also sold, you know, in 1978, $12 million was real money. Yeah, by all means. Uh, that kept them motivated. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, uh, the, the internet moves pretty quickly. Um, it, how long do you expect the Run Your Own Mail Server book to be uh, relevant for? Like, are you going to have to publish um, diffs every six months to, no, to keep no. it usable? We, email itself moves kind of slow because it's an established protocol with many players. There are a couple of optional pieces that are being considered that I want to touch on, like um, uh, requiring TLS on SMTP connections with a TLS report. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to touch on those things that are coming. And there are things like discussion boards and mailing lists where people are actively discussing the problems of running email. If you get yourself up to current standards, it is not that hard. The, the bad news is uh, there was a report recently done where that showed 60% of all email went to one of the big carriers like Google or Microsoft. Uh, the good news is that if you watch them and their requirements and you have the, the standard core protocols set up correctly and you're not, say, using an IP address that was previously polluted by spammers, uh, you should be able to maintain deliverability. Are they cutting the grass on your window? <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. They are close. Uh, yeah. Welcome to my life. It's, you know, it's um, that old Chinese proverb, oh, well. may you uh, work from home and your neighbors have a large lawn. Yes. This year, oh. oh, I'm sorry, guys. It's, it's, it's okay. Um, it's perfectly fine. The, the, the post processing. I'm sure, I'm sure there's an anti lawnmower filter the audio can be run through. <laughs> exactly. Anti the good news is, it's a giant lawnmower with a great big cutting surface. So he should be able, he should be done with everything I can see out this window in like two minutes. Yeah, and then the hay allergy can kick in, right? But um, so this is not intended to become a new uh, ISP uh, well, or mail delivery service, but for private users like you and I to run their own uh, mailing instead of running it via Gmail or uh, other providers. The thing is, no matter who you are, you are going to need these ancillary protocols. You are going to need SPF. You're going to need DMARC. You're going to need DKIM. Just that that's how it is. Okay. Um, and sure, you could set this up for an ISP. Realistically, 
there are more private individuals running email interested in running email than there are large companies. Because okay. overwhelmingly the big manufacturers are outsourcing their email. Because it is easier for, say, General Motors to pay Microsoft than it is for them to pay email administrators to fight with email. Yeah, there's there's. Uh, I remember a couple of company projects that only dealt with internal email and oh, this next uh, protocol or this next supplier is going to make everything better. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, nothing will make anything better. This is computing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just different horrors waiting for yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, you 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 scrape off one layer of pain and look what's underneath that. Oh, more pain. <laughs> well so moving on from the horrors of real life um could you maybe tell us about your recent fiction book projects and, and anything you might have planned oh well let's see fiction um i just released a, a couple of prohibition orcs books and there's a new collection of love stories that aren't love stories called uh devotion and corrosion and I am Ooh. looking to, with any luck, barring debacles, uh, do the last book of the Get Commit Murder trilogy this year. Excellent. Oh, it's a trilogy now. Excellent. Uh. Well, it, it, it always had that vaguely in mind, but I didn't think anyone would buy the first. <laughs> I... I, I read the first in preparation for BSD Can because it's the only documentation available for the conference. Um, it's a good prep book. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I definitely have a fan theories for how I want the third book to go. I, I assumed it would end up being a trilogy. Um, about halfway through the second book, uh, I don't know uh, if you want to hear them in person or not because maybe I'll. <laughs> I, I, I know how the. You should discuss fan theories with other fans. Because <laughs> I would author. hate to realize that your theory is better than my plot. <laughs> that, that just kind of sucks when that happens. I'll, I, I'll tell you what, Michael, if I ever find the time, I'll write my third installment as fan fiction and put it somewhere. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, great. Well, I, I, you have fun. <laughs> that's good that means i don't have to do it <laughs> well especially since you then by then have been to bsd can then you have also your own unique view of the conference but of course a third could... a third book will have to be in a third conference so oh you could start the euro bsd con murders well i mean the second book was in a very different type of conference and so the third book mm. would you know need another change of venue okay well we get around so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not completely limited to Canada. Yeah, so no, no. Second book is in Detroit at, at a a combination Linux <laughs> and science fiction con. But it's not Penguin Con. That is not Penguin Con. <laughs> they because Penguin Con has fewer bodies. Not not being familiar with um, Penguin. Um, combination technology and science fiction conferences were the the same plays on uh, people's names as they were in the first book and the second book perhaps 
<laughs> you, you never know. That would be telling. That would, yeah. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to indemnify you at all. <laughs> uh, I will say that any actual names that appear in that book are one, not on screen, as it were, and two, did not do anything that they didn't do in real life. <laughs> this is a work of fiction, right? Okay. Very nice. So we can definitely look up uh, those books and wait for the other ones to come out. So people can always choose between your tech and non-tech books to get a little read. And uh, But in general, how is the writing business these days? Are you seeing any changes post-pandemic, if you want to call it that? Well, there's... Um, the pandemic was actually fairly good for me. People were stuck at home, so they read, so they bought books. Mm -hmm. Not the best, uh, not the worst idea in the world. No, no, but last spring, about a year ago, places started opening up and people ran outside and started, like, I don't know, rolling in the grass or dancing in the streets or what whatever it is normal people who leave the house do whichever comes first yeah and so they leave the books at home or so bring they, them with them uh so yes yeah, sales have dropped and inflation is going up i have got to raise my print book prices so i'm i've set myself a goal to get that done before bsd camp so if if you want Ah, uh, because the the thing about print on demand is that my suppliers can raise their prices anytime they want, and they have, yeah, and they've done it the... a couple times. So I would suggest everyone listening to this, if you want a print book, grab it now while it's cheap. Okay, okay. not, not in quality, quality, but in price. So well, definitely, I could make an argument, but okay. I, I I think the show will come out, Michael, the Thursday of BSD can. Okay. <laughs> well, perfect timing. Ah, uh, perfect time. There is one thing that this would be in time for. Then, uh, I, I run my own ebook store. I now have a bundle there of absolutely everything uh, that's like 30% off retail Ooh, price. But if Ooh, you yeah. bought ebooks from my site before and want to like upgrade to that absolutely everything bundle, uh, I will give a discount for any current books that you've bought. Uh, so you know, say you bought the new SSH book, the new pseudo book. Uh, that would be about 20 bucks. I'll send you a coupon for 20 bucks off. Very generous. Ah, okay. Even if that hasn't been bought via the site directly? Well, no, it's got to or... be bought from me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that you have the record. So I, I have the record. I, I need the literal receipts. Mm -hmm. But the thing okay. is, I, it it would take a special kind of person to buy everything unseen. Yeah. <laughs> has, okay. has anybody bought everything, Michael? Yes. 
Google. How much yeah. does the box weigh? Well, no, they, these are ebooks. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I, I'm not getting in. I, I do shipping only at specific times, like for a Kickstarter or sponsors, because I, I don't want to do shipping on an ongoing basis. Is yeah, that, it's tedious and yeah, requires it's, time. It's tedious and annoying, and I don't want to do it, so I ain't gonna. Hmm. But you did a couple of Kickstarters also during this time, right? So you have also ways getting money or at least right. book projects started this way. I, th I think I'm going to keep the Kickstarters for fiction books. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because for the, for the nonfiction, like the, the open BSD book, uh, I did sponsorships. Uh, the mail book is up for sponsorship, by the way. Ah, yes, I think you had a... Uh, so if people have not subscribed to your mailing list yet, then they should definitely do that because that's where you make those announcements. They, Am I they, correct? Yes, I have a sponsor. At least that's list. where I got hold of it. And if, if you sign up for some of the other mailing lists, I, I try to target them, you get free stuff. So... Ah. Uh, not the sponsors list because the sponsors list is about giving me money for no good reason. <laughs> I think I've been pretty clear on that. It's yeah, a horrible deal. You shouldn't do it, <laughs> but if you want to, it's there. Um, but yeah, the OpenBSD book, I did sponsorships, uh, and then I did direct sale. You could pre-order the book from me in print, and I would uh, give you a print and ebook bundle. Ah, so both, okay. <laughs> so I, I will probably do that again for the nonfiction books. Because, uh, Sounds reasonable. The, the hardcore readers seemed happy with that. So, okay. So, talking about the, the future of publishing, there's been a lot of hype about um, AI and, and chat GPT and other tools. Do you, do you think it's going to be <laughs> soon until you can kick your shoes off and, and relax and let the computer write the typos for you? <laughs> or the footnotes? <laughs> well, no. Because remember, chat GPT does not answer questions. It produces text that looks like an answer to the question. And that's a subtle difference because things like ChatGPT are basically autocomplete uh, auto on crack. Uh, you can go ask it a scientific question and it will provide an answer complete with references to papers that don't exist because it looks like a real answer. <laughs> and, and that's all it's supposed to do. And the shorter your the shorter your answer is, the greater chance it has of being correct. So if ChatGPT can produce a one sentence answer, it might actually be right. You go on at any length, uh and it quickly veers off into La La Land. Hmm. Okay, and so so it's not even fiction. Like I think the idea of it um, being able to hold a consistent narrative for two hundred pages is probably quite far away. But do you think it will augment your writing at all? Because I I hear about people using it to write marketing copy now. Yes, and more fools them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the current okay. 
people do not want to read words in a row. What they want to read is voice. You, you want to read, they want to read text that sounds like it was said by a person and it might be clever uh, or it might be sardonic. I mean, my tech books have a distinct voice to them. <laughs> yeah, that's the signature. That, you know, the, if I had to say the underlying tone of my computer books, I would just say computers were a mistake, but here we are. You're yeah. not going to get that from AI at this stage. Exactly. It wouldn't discount uh, itself, right? Right. That. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of programmers say what they do is storytelling. And I get why they say that. I absolutely understand why they say that. I also understand why that is factually incorrect in every detail. So okay. they're, they're not, they are not telling stories. And the stories that come out of something like ChatGPT are not stories. They, okay, they so may be not... slices of life. Yeah. And there may be things that people enjoy reading at times, but you're not going to read 200 pages of that again. Probably not. But I guess people have used it to, if they stare at the blank page, the writer's block, uh, if you want to call oh. it that, and to just get started with something and then changing or refining that to R writers, have something written. Yeah, writer's block is not a problem. It is a symptom. Of something else, yeah. It, it is always a symptom. And I could natter on about that for quite a while. But it, if you don't have voice, if you don't have depth and character, you have no future. What I think ChatGPT is going to do is produce a flood of crap. We, we have people saying that they're going to use ChatGPT to produce 10,000 books in the next year and basically fill the market with this tripe that, that isn't really readable and that they can't realistically edit at that scale. And it's going to be more and more important for artists in general to build direct connections with people mm -hmm. the audience now now this technology is going to improve uh and one day it may figure out how to tell a story and there i may have trouble at the point where someone can say give me a novel that is 80 percent lucas and 20 percent fortune <laughs> And there are going to be problems because I'm going to go after someone with an axe then. <laughs> I don't, I, I, it doesn't feel like a, like a, a real threat to me because writing is not easy. I mean, there are plenty of human intelligence level humans that can't write books well. And we see this again and again through like science fiction series where authors have died and they've been continued and they're not anywhere near the standard help we see yes. it even authors in their own series of books where 
you know, the third one peters out and is a bit of a flop, or the middle is very weak. Yep. Um, I, I think there's going to be even more emphasis towards um, a brand and a following than there has been before for authors. But, you know, we've had the start of it for the last 20 years, so I don't think it's a surprise to anyone now that you need to be more than your work to sell your work because there's a C. Like, the internet made this available to everyone, so everyone's here. Yep. Well, we're, we are seeing, yes, you absolutely need that connection between creator and audience. Um, there's, there's also, as a side note, the, the U.S. Library of Congress has already ruled that that AI-generated text is not copyrightable. Mm-hmm. And, and Because it might be some... Well, stuff mushed together from someone else or multiple sources. It's, well, a, it's a great <laughs> it's, it's a great precursor for the robot revolution there. Yeah. <laughs> the, the copyright law is built around one of the key concepts is authorship. There is chat GPT is not an author, therefore there is hmm. no copyright. Easy enough. Um, so and, re- and under the law, I don't sell books. The, the job I am in is creating and licensing intellectual property, which is the same job Hollywood studios do. That's mm-hmm. the same job you podcasters do. Exactly. Um, if there is no copyright, you don't have a business. And, and there are game, small game studios who are saying, oh, I'm going to use mid-journey for all character art. Well, then anyone can use that art because it's not copyrightable. And your business is now very open to modifications you may not have expected. That's, that's interesting as well because game mechanics aren't copyrightable. Yep. So complete clones are then perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The, the thing that makes games unique and special is the story and the art and the general feel. Yeah, the and, immersiveness. And if you take away the art, or heck, one day you even take away the story, there's nothing there. Yeah, just a computer program. Yeah, and, and there's no there's nothing for you to base your business on. Mm, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, yeah, I, do, I don't see chat GPT as a threat. I see what follows it could be a threat. There could be assistive technology. But what I can imagine is just a step up from spell check. Mm. I mean, grammar checking is stupid. Uh, it turns everything into academic writing. But... Spell check is useful. I could see something that says, tell me where all the passive voice is in this piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I get that. I have uh, written a couple of stories for my column in the uh, previously journal, and I'm always like, yeah, of course it's me, but it, of, the English is not the best, so it could be improved. And I'm not sure if a tool would help me or would take away my unique writing style in this way, with all the errors that are part of it. Errors are human. Nobody wants to read pristine, clean text. 
That's called academic writing, and it's horrible. I mean. Yeah. Well, Tom and I are coming from academia, and we know our fair share of that. You don't, you, you don't even need true. to write academic documents in an academic style. It's just full of soulless monsters that want nobody to ever have any fun. Yeah. The best papers I've ever read were enjoyable to read, um, but the papers I've been allowed to publish have been duller than anything. Yep. yep. It's like the reviewers can detect the sparkle in your eyes and they say, no, out. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay, so that we fairly established that this is not a, a, yeah. a threat or a competition there or even... or It could yeah. be one day, but if ChatGPT can replace me, or if, if say, ChatGPT 15 replaces me, it will also replace um, comedians, uh, religious pastors and ministers and priests. Um, Every Sunday, yeah. Project managers. Um, Those are special kinds of priests, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically, if your job is to communicate with other people, no marketing. Um, now, one and and from there, it's a ah, computers have been putting people out of work since they were invented. Oh yeah, yeah. The the hordes of people, yeah, right, who have um, nothing to do now. Um, you know, computers put accountants out of business, but ninety percent of them went away because they did, no longer needed people to fill out the spreadsheets. And what remained was the top ten percent. I had oh yeah, I had a computing teacher in school, and her job as an accountant was tabulating numbers. Yes, she just sit with this this with the logbook and just tabulate numbers all day. Yeah, and she lost and that they, job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there are writing jobs kind of like that. Yeah, so people can focus on different things that are probably a bit higher in. Mm -hmm. And the education or in fun or in soul, let's say. Computers will come on. for those jobs too. Sure, that's always a chase there, how how soon they will get replaced. But of course, how you whatever you replace, something else takes its place. And the question is, are you on the replacing side or the being replaced side? Uh, I just saw today the, the logical extension of this. Um, there's a new game that came out called Mail Order Apocalypse. I know nothing about it, except the core conceit is um, AI comes along far enough that everybody loses their job. Mm -hmm. Nobody has any money. And the only way to survive is by tricking the system to give you things. Oh, oh, that's a different kind of game. And yeah. it's, it's not that the system, it's not that the computers want to kill us, but the, the company owners set down these laws and then the company owners lost their job. <laughs> they were the last to leave. They yeah. were the last to leave. So, uh, I mean, that that's the, the logical end case. Yeah, the hell we created ourselves. Yeah. Okay, we'll watch how this progresses and yeah. write a couple of stories in between. <laughs> yeah. 
to see how how well we predicted the future. So anyway, that's my take. That's everything about uh, AI and uh, things alike. Okay, so talking about the future, uh, what events are you attending in virtual or physical form in the next coming months that people can look forward to? The only thing I'm at intending to intend there intending to attend uh is bsd can excellent that's where we're gonna see you yeah. i am euro bsd can would be lovely except flying on a uh a u.s airline uh there the, the airplanes are basically virus tubes mm. i i had COVID once and that experience has convinced me to never have it again I'm fairly sure that this is shared by many other people who also had it. Will you be speaking at BSDCAN, Michael, or are you are you going to be I am. watching? Okay, I'm what will you talk about? A four hour tutorial on OpenBSD file systems. Hey, fancy that. Ah. Imagine hmm. that. And if you take the class, I'll give you a copy of the ebook because the slides are basically the ebook with uh, uh, the rearranged ebook. Going through in in horrid detail everything you could possibly want to know about file systems. Excellent, it sounds great. Um, so I I can see an orc peeking out the corner. I think you may be late for some writing or or some homework. Um, before you run away, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Um, anything I'd like to leave you with. Uh, books are cool. I'd like you to buy my books. Thank you very much. Um. <laughs> BSD now is cool. You should keep doing the podcast. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, BSD can is cool. Show up if you can safely, and if if you can't, don't feel bad. Uh, we really are still in a pandemic. Yeah, we're starting slow, restarting things, and trying out different ways. But uh, we want to have something similar to the old experiences. We know that the Royal Oak is not there anymore, but we find other places. We need a bar. We need, yeah, the BSD can bar of new ages. Yes, I mean, I, I, I don't drink, but there's there was really nothing like seeing everybody the night before the con opens. And, the meeting place, yeah, yep. for everyone. And, and having a greasy hamburger that you know, makes your arteries harden just by looking at it. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. And, and, <laughs> oh, doesn't it, though? And seeing everyone. Oh, yeah. And, shouting above the tumult until we're all at the top of our voices that's the conference experience we lack yeah so far and this year i'm going to ask kirk mccusick the question i have forgotten to ask him every year since 2014. oh can you share that with us or is it a secret the c partition it represents the whole disk yeah why c <laughs> okay i mean a sure uh, Z would make sense. It's the last letter. That's... But C is like in the middle of everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Good thinking. We want to know the answer to that, and... too. So I really want to know the answer to that. I wonder if it's in one of the books I have here. Yeah, it, it, it makes perfect... I'm, I'm sure that it made perfect sense at the time. They, everybody has made the best decision they can. Mm. But I, I gotta ask Kirk because he may not have been right there, but 
he's a lot closer to the source than we are. He could, yeah, ask around, and he, if he doesn't know himself, yeah, if, <laughs> because if, if we don't document this now, people fifty years later are going to be asking that same question. Yeah, and they want to know, and we won't have an answer then. Yeah. Okay, that's excellent. We will definitely look forward to that. So uh, the BSD Now crew will be at BSD Can, as far as I can tell everyone. And we will be happy to interview people. So be uh, on the lookout for us, either by running away or jumping right in front of the microphone. Michael has done its deed here. Thank you again for yet another interview with us. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to and you next book. Yeah. Good luck with those projects, and we'll be seeing you at BSD Can. BSD Now is sponsored by Tarsnap. Everyone needs backups, and Tarsnap ensures that your backups are not only safe, but also secure. Your data is encrypted on your device before being sent to the cloud, so that only you have the ability to read your data. Tarsnap takes your data and works out what data is duplicated so that bandwidth can be saved. It then assembles your data into compressed blocks, encrypts them with your local private key that never leaves your system, and then uploads those encrypted blocks to the cloud. So even if someone is able to obtain your backed up data in the cloud, they will not be able to decrypt it and access your files. Tarsnap is easy to use. If you can use Tar, then you can use Tarsnap. Tarsnap is prepaid, so you never have to worry about an unexpected bill. Tarsnap is fully open source, allowing you to inspect the code to make sure that it does what we say it does. Tarsnap also does bug bounties if you find errors in the code. With clients on all major platforms, there's no excuse to not have good backups. Go to tarsnap.com to learn more. Thank you again, Michael, for having this interview with us. That was definitely great, and I hope our audience liked it just as much. Uh, this pretty much covers what we have for you this week uh, no feedback and questions this time because we didn't know how long michael's uh, interview is going to be but i guess we have been successful to fill a whole episode for you again and if you want to send us feedback or have a question for us about maybe this interview or the stuff we talked about or anything else that's on your mind in the bsd world send it to feedback at bsdnow.tv then we'll be happy to cover it in a future episode. Speaking of future episodes, we'll very soon record our very first live interview or live episode in person at BSD Can, which is part of the schedule. So if you happen to attend that conference, definitely check it out. It's part of the 